Wait a minute, kid. How old are you? Seventeen, sir. Oh, oh, good. He's seventeen. Doctor, Mr. Chekhov is correct. I can confirm his telemetry. If Mr. Sulu is able to maneuver us into position, I can beam aboard Nero's ship, steal back the black hole device, and, if possible, bring back Captain Pike. I won't allow you to do that, Mr. Spock. Romulans and Vulcans share a common ancestry. Our cultural similarities will make it easier for me to access the ship's computer to locate the device. Also, my mother was human, which makes Earth the only home I have left. I'm coming with you. I would cite regulation, but I know you will simply ignore it. See? We are getting to know each other. Welcome to part two of our Star Trek episode. Now, you know what happens before we go to Real Talk. We do some PP, our patron pitch. John, uh, he decided to excuse himself. He didn't want to really sit around while we talk about our patron channel, which he is a part of. Uh, he figured it was a good time to stretch his legs while we tell you, patrons and non-patrons, what's going to be there. So patrons know what they can expect on the exclusive patron feed, and non-patrons find out what they're missing out on. Uh, Alex, we're starting a new month, December. We're closing the year, closing it strong with two new QVRs, new quick video reviews requested mm -hmm. slash demanded by Sam Hurley from Movie Reviews and 20 Qs. Sam Hurley, who's become a father for the second time. My uh, God. Yep. Happened a couple months ago. I just didn't bring it up on the in the show because, you know, we've been recording so far in advance. But uh, yeah, Sam's uh, a father twice over now. And uh, he... Oh yeah, congrats, man. Congratulations. Uh, his life is officially not his own. Whenever I see him surface in social media, I can just imagine his two kids just pulling him down. <laughs> he comes up for air. and then, But he came up for air to tell us that he wants you, Alex, to watch The Raid and do a quick video review on that. You haven't seen The Raid, right? No, but I remember when it came out, everyone was telling me I needed to watch it. Yeah, I remember when it came out too, and it was just, it made a big splash. And I know there's a sequel as well, but uh, I've never seen it. So I'll wait and see what you say. Uh, for me, he uh, he requested slash demanded the movie Leave No Trace, which I've also heard about. It's a, a Ben Foster drama. I think it's him and his kid traveling through the woods. Uh, no, it was it was kind of a, an indie darling, I think, when it came out and back in 2018. Um, never seen it, always meant to. So now it's going to happen and patrons are going to see my reaction on video. So there is that on the QVR front. Uh, also, patrons of all levels are going to have access to our bonus episode for the month of December. This time from Ryan. Ryan, the same Ryan that's going to be joining us next episode for Nothing But Trouble. Uh, he is making us watch the movie Fateful Findings. Alex, I can only hope that this is one of those Ryan recommendations that is uh, good and not one of the troll moves like <laughs> when he made us watch Hancock. Yeah, I'm hoping for the same. Yeah, but whatever the case, it will be an interesting discussion, and that's just for you, patrons. There's also the usual stuff that's available uh, throughout the channel every month, our uh, cutter room floor segments with the things that don't make it into the episodes, our pre-recording notes that we scribble before we, we come to the recordings. We might have to squeeze in a Christmas movie next month, too. I, You know what? I was going to bring it up to you when we're not recording, but now that you brought it up here, yes, let's do that. <laughs> Sounds uh, good. 
Yeah, I'll let you pick because you're you're the expert when it comes to to Christmas movies, and I'm I'm just somebody who doesn't watch them unless I'm made to. Um, and then, of course, we have Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show that where we talk about other things that we watched, that we read, that we listened to, that we played, that we thought about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Well, Julio, for After Hours this time, I'm going to be discussing a recent jaunt I had to the theater myself and our friend, Reed, went to the Paramount last week for a pretty fucking cool event. It was a performance by Claudio Simonetti's Goblin. Now, that may not sound uh, familiar to you at all, but Goblin... He's a wrestler. He's not a wrestler. Um, Goblin was the group that uh, did the score for a lot of Dario Argento's films. Um, specifically, they did the iconic score for Suspiria, the real Suspiria from 1977. <laughs> And um, what this show was, was the group performing the score to Suspiria live to the movie. So they had the movie playing on the screen and then the, the band was there and they played the score live. So that was awesome. So just kind of recounting that and then like the concert that came after it and the crowd and just, you know, talking about the Paramount and whatnot. So recounting... Uh, I think that's the third time I've seen Suspiria in a movie theater. That movie's 45 years old. So, I mean, that 40, that uh, 4K restoration came to Austin a few years ago. You got to go see it, man. But for those of you who haven't been to the Paramount, I'll give a little bit of backstory on it as well. So that is my topic du jour, Julio. What are you bringing to the table? Uh, I'm going to keep in theme with, uh, with the stars and space and the final frontier. Uh, Alex, I watched... The new Josh Gad show, actually, it's not even new. It's it's on its second season, and I just now found out about it. Uh, it's called Avenue 5. It stars uh, Hugh Laurie and Josh Gad and a bunch of other actors I'm going to tell you about. But it's uh, uh, here's the pitch, and I'll expand on the after hours. But the pitch is, what if Aniara was a comedy? My God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so I'll be telling you about that. And also, finally... My Babylon 5 journey has come to an end. I, I finished Babylon 5. I finished it, and I have thoughts. I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's 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 only fair, since I I talked about it in After Hours when I started. I talked about it when I got to the middle of the of the series, and now it's come to an end. And it was it was good. I'm glad I, I hopped on that on that wagon. Uh, so I'll tell you about that. It's a very different show from you know Star Trek. And most certainly a very different tone from Star Trek 2009, but that's okay. There's room in space for all types of storytelling. And I figure since uh, we're going to be making Ryan mad with this episode, might as well make him a little happy on the after hours. Uh, but that's it. Babylon 5, Avenue 5, and uh, Dario Argento 5. What's the name of the goblin? Is that the name of the the band? Yeah, goblin is the name of the uh, Italian band that we'll be discussing. I'm excited to hear about it. And uh, so should you all. Any of that sounded interesting. Check our Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Contrarian Prime. Look at the tiers. See what kind of access you would like. There's different levels. And join the Contrarian Supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10 are respective tiers. Check it out. Drop four quarters in the uh, 
the digital tip jar for us and take a look around, see what it is you like. You get access all the way back to the beginning, our very first patron episode on Blue is the Warmest Color. Everything up until now that I say confidently, you will not find any more comprehensive coverage of the 2011 and 2012 John Cena, Dwayne Johnson program and their movie careers before and after uh, than what you will find on our Patreon page. Um, for all of our existing patrons, as I like to say, I love you all so dearly, and we continue to take applications for new ones. So check it out. Patreon.com backslash Contrarian Prime. Now, Alex, this isn't exactly patron-related, but it's uh, this is a good place to bring it up. Our next episode is episode 170, and... Usually, what we do when we reach those multiples of 10 is give you a gray area episode. You know, uh, we pick a movie that's kind of in the middle of the tomato meter, and one of us defends it, the other one attacks it, and we have a a jolly good time. And uh, we're going to shake things up a little bit now that we're in year nine. We want to give ourselves and our listeners and our patrons as much flexibility as uh, as possible. And so we don't want to just tie ourselves down to a gray area episode. So now... Whenever we reach a multiple of 10, it's going to be a wild card episode. And what that means is that we can do whatever we want. (laughs) So it may be a gray area episode, or it may be another rotten movie or another fresh movie. We don't have to worry about what follows in the, uh, you know, according to our pattern. Uh, It may be a movie that normally would be, you know, maybe it's not rotten enough or not fresh enough, but we want to do it, you know, as if it was fresh or rotten. Yeah, we'll do that too. Uh, Maybe it's a movie that doesn't have a rating. We'll do that as well. So multiples of 10 is where where we can just kind of go a little crazy with what we're doing. In this case, for 170, we're not going to go super crazy yet. What we're going to do is, instead of doing a gray area, we're going to do another rotten movie, uh, because that's kind of like what fit better in our schedule. We're going to have our friends Ryan and Bartek come in and and do a rotten movie with us. Uh, And we'll tell you more about that once we get to the end of the episode. But from now on, we're going to spice it up a little more on those multiples of 10s. I'm assuming that you're okay with this, Alex. Yes. I mean, that that sounds like a plan. It allows us a bit more uh, leeway in terms of like what we can do. Because even like, you know, we've only done, not only, but when we got to this gray air episodes, we're like, oh, what are we going to do? And there's too much out there. <laughs> and then, you know, movies uh, that we want to cover um, that would apply to that. So looking forward to it. All right, Alex. It's time. Let's uh, let's lock on the coordinates for John and uh, beam him back up into the studio, so we can we can do some real talk about Star Trek 2009. What, are you from the future? Yeah, he is. I'm not. Well, that's brilliant. Do they still have sandwiches there? All right, Julio. We are back. And I am excited for this because Star Trek is not something, you know, I typically dabble in. We did it on the podcast many, many moons ago where William Shatner explained that he needed his pain. And that was kind of a door opening for me. (laughs) Uh, But you and our guest today have a bit more context and knowledge than I do. And also, it's just been so fun to go back to a point in time where Chris Pine wasn't a bona fide A-lister, nor was Chris Hemsworth. It's like going through this, thinking of who the the big names were and it definitely wasn't them uh i mean simon Pegg probably had more of a profile than chris pine at this point in time it's a it's a fascinating movie to discuss and i'm excited to do so uh 94 on the old rt most people loved this 
I texted you earlier today. It's like, why do people hate this? And you responded back with just a screenshot of the 94%. You're like, what are you talking about? And I just, I responded to you. I was like, I talked to too many fucking nerds, man. Cause like people I talk to about this don't seem to like it for whatever reason. Uh, but that's obviously not the case. Still, 6% of the critics that accrued that score don't like it. What are their beefs? What are, what are their complaints? Not enough pretty people? <laughs> <laughs> Too much Tyler Perry. That's, that's their complaint. We're going to start with uh, Kyle Smith on the rotten side of the quotes. Uh, KyleSmithOnline.com. He says, barely competent. J.J. Abrams has a TV soul. Uh, I've heard this complaint about Abrams before, and I, I wonder if uh, either of you agree. Do you think J.J. Abrams is a TV director that can't quite make the jump to to features? Like, or, or, or was that a problem, at least at first? I, I know that everybody always says, not everybody, but the people that don't like Mission Impossible 3, they're like, oh, it just looks like a TV show. It doesn't look like a movie. Uh, agree? Disagree? It doesn't look like Mission Impossible 2. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where are the dubs? Uh, I guess, is that... 24 is the immediate thing I think of, of like, that kind of looks like that. Uh, but no, it still looks like a movie. I mean, this is like riddled with the tropes of the time, what was in the fashion. It's got the born cam the entire time and the lens flares and whatnot. It's just, it's a product of its time. And I don't know, I'm the wrong audience because I like Force Awakens and I know people castigated him for that just because he basically just made a cover of. A New Hope, and nothing wrong with that. I also hate Rise of Skywalker, so I don't know. I don't know how I feel about J.J. Abrams. <laughs> no, I like Mission Impossible 3. I like this. Um, it's funny. That's a that's a review that hasn't aged very well because TV and film just blend together now. So someone, you know, 20 years from now will read that review be like, what the fuck does this mean? <laughs> what does having a TV soul mean? I don't even I, I don't even see it as like the way that the story is structured. Uh, but maybe that's what they're going for. You know, I don't know. Uh, next, Wesley Lovell from CinemaSide says, while entertaining as a space soap opera, the film dismantles much of what made Star Trek once great. Put a pin on that, because I think that that will be a big talking point as far as like what made Star Trek once great and if we can even determine that. Uh, but I, I wanted to put it here because obviously I kind of brought it up in Contrarian's Corner. Uh, next, Eileen Jones from The Exile said, did all the fight choreographers in Hollywood boycott this production or something? Uh, do you think the fights are uh, <laughs> hard to follow in this movie? They're way too close up to really follow what's going on, but they're all very concise and short, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, John, were you lost? No, I mean, I've seen movies where I, I'm totally lost. In, in fight scenes and like thinking like who this is not an action director um but but like uh, Alex said it they're it's concise it's they're they're fast like the longest fight scene is what on the um on the mining uh uh, uh rig yeah yeah, yeah. With, yeah with with Sulu and Kirk and that's fine you know, I'm not bothered by that yes he, he has a sword Sulu pulls out a sword which is he pulls it yeah like a modular sword that like <laughs> unfolds yeah like why does Starfleet have that but you know what cool because <laughs> <laughs> he majored in fencing that's uh, yeah <laughs> um and we're gonna close with with the one and only Roger Ebert who did, oh. didn't like JJ Abrams Star Trek 
Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times says, The Gene Roddenberry years, when stories might play with questions of science, ideals, or philosophy, have been replaced by stories reduced to loud and colorful action. Roger Ebert is a traditionalist when it comes to Star Trek. <laughs> he wanted uh, Spock and Kirk to just have a 30-minute discussion about the meaning of life and then shoot Nero at the end. <laughs> Push him into a black hole. Yes. <laughs> so... um. Before uh, we get your your thoughts on Star Trek, John, or maybe as a as a gateway into them, why did you pick Star Trek? Why why did you yeah. uh, throw Star Trek our way? Random. It was totally random. <laughs> there was you, no plan. <laughs> it, it honestly was. You had said to me, um, you know, would you like to come on the show? And I think you know, with the criteria of the show, um, I. Th- I, I went on Rotten Tomatoes and just looked at like higher scoring films. I don't even know how I found it. Like I, I just went on or I, I maybe went on, maybe I looked up like maybe last 20 years and, and this one popped up as being really high, like what, 94%, right? Mm-hmm. In terms yeah. of like the fresh, you know, the fresh rating. And it's a film I've seen multiple times. And I, I just, you know what? Sometimes when you go on someone's show and they ask you, you can overthink it forever. And I just said, you know what? And I think I said to you, have you done any Star Trek? And you said The Final Frontier, which funnily enough, we, we've we done two on the pint. We did the motion picture and The Final Frontier, the only two Star Trek movies we've ever done. Um, nice. And I just, I said, fuck it, let's do it. You know, it, it, that's, I, I think I was also kind of, kind of shocked at 94%. Like I, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that. So I think I, and I think it lended itself to good conversation because it has something to, go up against, right? It's so you're comparing it to something and very much like Ebert just said, like you're talking about the differences between what they did then and what they did now and how that affects an audience's uh, perception. I'm, and I think also, again, I think I was really surprised by 94%. Yeah. That's a hard saying. When I saw that score, I was like, what? Cause I, okay, help me out here. I might be conflating the other ones. Was there one of these in this trilogy that people really didn't like? The second one, mm-hmm. Into Darkness. Okay, they just yeah, it was it was too much that they they messed with Wrath of Khan. <laughs> I think that that's it, uh, it, yeah, it was J.J. Abrams trying to be clever by saying it wasn't Khan forever, and you know, and they made a big deal of that, and then and then when it kind of came out, it mirrored Wrath of Khan but poorly, and you know, it's kind of tough when you take what's considered the best. Uh, of the franchise, especially in movies, and try to ride on the heels of that, and you don't do a good job with it. Yes, because I, I know enough to know. Like, I remember liking that, like not being nuts about it, but I know enough to know like they flipped the scene where Kirk dies instead of Spock, right. and yeah. it's the reverse chainsaw, and it was so fucking dumb when Benedict Cumberbatch like I am. Right, because it, it, I, when I saw that in the theaters, I I didn't necessarily hate that movie. I, I didn't care for it. But, like, that scene means nothing to Kirk and Spock of of this uh, of this film series, right? In the original, Khan is a villain from the TV show. And mm-hmm. in real time, essentially, like 20 years later, he comes back to take his vengeance on Kirk. And in this one, they have the scene where he's in like the little like holding cell and he said, I am Khan, Noonie, and Sid, or whatever it is. And you just, they're like, who the fuck are you? What does this mean? And that, take, <laughs> that takes everything away. And what it does 
is it, it actually breaks the fourth wall and just becomes an Easter egg or a chainsaw moment. And that sucks. I, I don't want that chainsaw moment. I don't want <laughs> you to make the character this character just so I go, oh, I want you to make the character that character because it means something to the characters in the film. And yeah, yeah it, it was a swing and a miss. <laughs> oh, look, uh, I, I don't know you. I am Spock. Bullshit. Well, not to not to derail us into a um, into darkness conversation, but I I I liked what they were going for, and 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 I like this cast, and I think that's you know kind of like bringing it back here, like that that starts here. I think that this movie, you know, they they nailed the casting. We can talk about whether they nailed the spirit of Star Trek, but I think that they, if the mission was to make a very popular movie that was going to be a blockbuster and it was going to launch a franchise and and, and so on, uh, that it was going to even capture new eyes for people that were not familiar with Star Trek as a franchise or were not interested. Uh, I think that they did they got it right. You know, they got the right Kirk, the right Spock, the right Uhura. Everybody was really really uh on point and from then on yes if you want to follow it up with into darkness i'll follow <laughs> i'll go along uh, and they made a third one so that means that you know whatever happened with into darkness financially even critically i mean they still felt like they were they had legs so um, there is supposed to be a fourth one coming out next year uh allegedly yeah i, I think okay anything. i think that got canceled okay that was the one that was gonna be hemsworth as his father and it was gonna be like a time travel type thing. And they kept on bouncing directors. And, and the last thing I heard was whoever was signed on to direct last. Uh, it was a female director. I don't remember who it was. She dropped out too. So I think, I think it's, I think it's kind of in, in purgatory at this point. That's a shame. So yeah, I've seen all three of these, and I like I said, I met. I've this was my first time seeing one of them more than once. I'd seen them all one time in the theater initially. Um, and I might be so inclined to go back and revisit the other two now. I think obviously I'm coming from a place different than y'all with my lack of Star Trek knowledge. Is does this get too cutesy for like Star Trek or Yeah. I guess my question is okay. Yeah, my question would be in line with like does it commit enough to what it's going for that it pulls off what it's going for or does it fuck with the source material so much that it seems kind of jumbled if you're someone who's knowledgeable of the source material. I think it pulls off what it's going for because what it's going for is is um kind of like let's do Michael Bay's Star Trek. Like let's let's keep the characters the same, let's hit all the greatest hits and keep all the chainsaw moments in there, but <laughs> let's make it bright, let's make it real shiny, let's make the Enterprise bridge look like the Apple store. Let's <laughs> let let's 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 update it for 2009. Be a little less cerebral, and, and I'm stretching the word cerebral, but mm-hmm. make it more of an actiony type thing, and and see where it goes. And I think probably a lot of the hardcore trekkers, as they like to be called, probably were were bothered by that. But it it made a lot of money, and I think it probably brought a bunch of people into. At the very least, maybe it was their gateway to Star Trek fandom. But yeah, I I don't think, uh, to me, as a Trek fan, I'm not offended by it in terms of, uh, like, I don't feel like, oh, you know, they came in and 
and and they did this thing. I think much like the the next generation movies were diminishing returns. They kind of went out with a whimper and very much like Jason Bourne kind of forced the people at, at bond to figure out what to do. You know, that was the whole Craig thing. The Daniel Craig bond movies were a response to Jason Bourne. Like mm-hmm. we, you know, we can't do this like invisible car bullshit anymore. Like we got to figure <laughs> out, like we got to figure out if, if bond can kill someone with a magazine and, and you know what? It, it, it seemed to work for that. It up, it updated it for a different audience. And I think, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, th- I think that this movie did a good job, it, it, uh, but again, you have to go into it with like, this is the Michael Bay Star Trek mindset. This isn't going to be an overly smart movie. This is going to be a fun ride that, uh, you know, that we get the greatest hits of, of Star Trek fandom in there. I wish there wasn't such a negative connotation to, with the name Michael Bay, because you're right. But also when you, when you hear this is the Michael Bay Star Trek, you instantly think of the worst, like the lowest common denominator. <laughs> and I think this movie's smarter than that. No, no, I I, I agree, but I, I just I'm I'm just using it as like the the actiony, big shiny, brand new thing that's there. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't say pain and gain, Michael Bay. He just said Michael <laughs> yeah. Bay. So we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, I think well, but just to be clear, so you do you have a preference? Or do you, do you is, is it all Trek or do you have a preference as far as like oh I like the original crew better or I like Next Generation better or oh, I like I'm an, Chris Pine or, better original like original the sixty sixty six TV show and and the you know even you know the whole thing with the Trek movies the odd ones aren't good I enjoy the first six films uh, all in their own way even Final Frontier which isn't a great movie it probably has the best. Uh, bonding of the three, uh, uh-huh. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Those the fire, the campfire scenes, and everything. So yeah, I, I I do love that stuff. And it was it was nice to see, you know, these actors do their interpretations. And also the fact I I do like the fact that in this movie that they make it a plot point that it's a diverging timeline. So it's not like just like a weird reboot or mm-hmm. this is our our new. These are the same characters. Just if if the Narada came through. And and fucked everything up. This is what would have happened. I, I I like the idea of that. I like seeing you know these characters in in different versions of them. Yeah, I I like it too. I've I think like I said uh, in Guitar's Corner, I've my knowledge of Star Trek has increased since the first time I watched this movie. But even then, like the first time I watched it, you know, I was familiar with Next Generation and some of the original. I'd seen all the movies except the first one, I think, of the original crew. And uh, and I was just excited. I, it I guess I hadn't been as invested in in the Star Trek franchise to even feel the change of oh this is the action minded Star Trek versus the you know the intellectual Star Trek from before until much later. You know when pe- once people right. pointed it out and I started rewatching stuff, I'm like you're right. <laughs> These you know original Trek is just about big ideas and not so much about the shooting. Um, but I remember going, I went to see this, I want to say it was the the midnight show, you know, before the, the opening, like on a Thursday night or something. I went with my two friends that we eventually moved together to Austin with. So I was still living in College Station, and we went there. And uh, my friend Drew, he had never watched a single Star Trek movie show, anything. He was a Star Wars person. And uh, 
the first 10 minutes happen and you know the the opening title screen comes up and he turned to me and he was like those 10 minutes that opening was better than anything star wars has done in you know 10 years right <laughs> and i was like oh wow like they hooked him and and then from then on you know we came out of uh, that movie and he went and he bought every season of every tv show he bought every movie he was just obsessed and i was telling john Jesus. before we started recording uh i was telling him like we lived together for a year you know when we first moved here to austin and he would just have them playing uh, you know it would be playing in his room or playing on the in the living room it was just this thing that just became like the background uh, in our apartment it was just like star trek playing it would be original series or it would be next generation or it would be one of the movies or whatever and he really liked it and this movie did that you know <laughs> and i don't think that it, it he's an isolated case i i think that it's just what you said i think that a lot of people were introduced to these characters with the jj abrams movie and then they had this wealth of material <laughs> available to them uh, because, you know, they started doing the remasters of, the, of oh, yeah. the the old, you know, shows and all this stuff. So it is, I think that when people get mad about this movie, uh, like I understand, okay, it's not your trek, right? But when people get mad about this, I think that they are choosing to ignore that it's not just... Uh, oh, well, this iteration of Trek or the other one. It's like, they even in this movie, they go out of their way to tell you it all exists. It all happened. Right. And even if they didn't, you still have, as, as, a, as a member of the audience, you have all these choices. You can watch this and then it's perfectly fine to go and watch something else that's from a different you know timeline or whatever. And you can enjoy both. You can enjoy intellectual Trek and you can enjoy action Trek. It, it would be very different if this movie was made at the same time that like all the original actors were still alive and still mm -hmm. available. That, that might be like, well, you know, why are you making these when these guys are... at this point in 2009, half of those people are either dead or in their late eighties. It, it, it's just, it, you age out, you know, um, the, the loss, the, the Las Vegas Raiders football team of this year, uh, are, are none of them are the same people from 15 years ago. You just got to kind of move along sometimes, you know, as you have yet to select a first officer respectfully, I would like to submit my candidacy. Should you desire, I can provide character references. It would be my honor commander. Now, Alex, I don't know if this makes a difference, but it, you have to have an opinion on this, John. And that is the, like the other argument is just forget about the, you know, the action or whatever, but more like the philosophy of, of Star Trek. Star Trek is well known as this idea that it's supposed to be about community and, and fighting for a better future. And it's not so much about the armed conflicts or whatever. And then, so do you feel that this movie betrays that a little bit when it just becomes about like let's kill nero <laughs> at the end because even wrath of khan i think you know but yes khan dies at the end of wrath of khan but it's not as uh i guess a bloodthirsty climax as you see it here i i guess maybe if you want to look at it nero was just so dangerous that ship was so dangerous that they they ha they kind of had to let him go um, I think it's played a little bit strangely for laughs when they're like, you know, offering him help. And then when he says no, they're like, fuck it, go. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it does seem like they were really into letting him die. So, yeah, I, I, I do get that. But I, I think that, again, 
we're in a different iteration of this franchise and uh and he he was a dangerous character that could cause like you know he obviously he destroyed a planet so i guess maybe there's maybe there's levels maybe like okay you know you like you you knocked over a liquor store um you know you set a fire somewhere we're going to save you 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 fucking you imploded a planet okay maybe this is where we let you die <laughs> yeah uh i don't i don't have a problem with it but that is the one point where i mean i don't know i mean i think anybody getting too worked up about it is is probably overthinking it a little bit but i don't know you know have have spider-man kill somebody in cold blood and i might get that worked up you know right but i i guess yeah it's just weird that there doesn't seem to be a moment of reflection about you know man i wish that we had all worked it out because you know the guy lost his planet so it's not like he completely came out of nowhere <laughs> with this vendetta <laughs> it's uh he's acting irrationally but it is uh you know, I don't know. Nobody mourns really Romulus. <laughs> it's like Alex, I think, joked that, like, you know, Spock doesn't seem to be that bothered by by what happened. So I I think that if somebody like a, a hardcore Star Trek fan tells me, well, this is why I don't like the J.J. Abrams movies, you know, because they're kind of flippant in a way that is kind of offensive if you're a true believer of the core principles of Star Trek or whatever. I'd be like, all right, I mean... That is, I, I think that's a fair point. Yeah, you. But, I see it, yeah. But still, you know, I, I as somebody who's not that invested, I think it's a great action movie. <laughs> now, Alex, do you have any opinions of, do you care about that? Or do you, it's just like, no, fuck it, Nero deserve to die and just just bring on the next adventure? I don't say fuck it, because obviously, as you know, <laughs> there's like franchises and source material that gets fucked with that does bother me very much. So I can understand how someone would be that we were on the break talking about X-Men movies. That's Mm -hmm. one that I've been infuriated by with some of the liberties taken and approaches taken with the storytelling there. Um, So yeah, I I won't say fuck it because I do respect people's, um, I don't want to say right, but I, I understand someone's you know, uh, getting upset when something's tinkered with, a formula's tinkered with that worked for them previously. I've watched, uh, you know, Star Trek from every iteration that it's come in and, you know, to varying extents. It's one of those things. It's just there's so much. That's like with Doctor Who, how I've just <laughs> – I've, I've I've acquiesced. I'm never going to watch Doctor Who because there's just – at this point in my life, it would take too much time. And Star Trek's kind of something similar in the sense of if I wanted to, I could deep dive into it. That's the thing. I call myself a Star Wars fan, but I I just watched the nine movies. And so, like, to big-time Star Wars fans, they would find that in, insulting. They're like, you're not a fan? You don't watch the Clone Wars or, you know, this shit? <laughs> so um, with Star Trek, I'm familiar with where it's coming from, but also just for me personally, I, I really enjoy this. At this point in the game, too, I watch this movie almost like a time capsule because it it comes from a different era, like, and uh, it's only 13 years old, so I don't mean to make it sound like that's a long period of time, but the entire approach to making movies has changed since this came out. And watching it, it still is made from that Michael Bay position of, let's make a big, loud, dumb movie that people are going to pay to see. Uh, and there's really no characters are broken and they have these motivations to do like there's these things that motivate them but it's not you can listen to any other episode where i gripe about the modern state of filmmaking so watching this where it's just very by the books and simple and every character 
does exactly what you think they will do at every turn of the film. Uh, now, I'm not saying that's how these characters should be written based on their source material, but it's just for what it is, it's a fun and easy watch. And I think that's the important thing to keep in mind. If you want to dive deeper into this and the points John was making from the perspective of it's not a very heady movie. It's not it's just a big, dumb, loud action movie that launched some careers, to truthfully speak. It's very fascinating to think about a time where Chris Pine, like I said, wasn't like a big star. And that was kind of the thing. This movie was at the time comprised of like nobodies. And you know, think of a a studio that would spend you know 200 million dollars now making a movie like this with a cast of like yeah there's a couple hey that guys in it but it's largely just a bunch of randos that went on to you know varying levels of success uh but i think for those reasons i think the parts that comprise it make it more enjoyable to me than just approaching it as a star trek movie if that makes any sense at all yep uh i was doing like the the roll call and it's like yeah you have uh uh, you have Gamora, you have Judge Dredd, you have Steve. Uh, what's his name in, in Wonder Woman? Is it Steve Carter? Steve Trevor. Steve Trevor. Is that Chris Pine? Yeah, yeah. You can just call him one of the Tremor brothers. That works too. <laughs> yeah, but that's not yeah. his big like pop culture <laughs> imprint now. Uh, Zachary. Oh, he's Quinto. Captain Kirk now. Well, yeah, I guess he's mostly Kirk. But uh, Zachary Quinto, I-, I think that that's the one that I know he's been in like things. Heroes, yeah. right? He was. Uh, uh, he, isn't he like an American Horror Story guy? I don't watch that, but I think he's involved in a lot of those episodes, a lot of those seasons. Yeah, I uh, I dated a girl who was really into that show, and yeah, he's like a staple of that. Yeah. At least the back when we were together, Eric Bana also. I mean, wasn't kidding. This was kind of the the end of the the Bonds experiment. <laughs> yeah. um, I've never seen his Hulk, but I think in this he's 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 having a good time and he's fun. Hello, I'm Captain Christopher Pike. To whom am I speaking? Hi, Christopher. I'm Nero. $150 million was the budget. I said $200. Uh, $150 million was the budget. Box office return of $385 million. Something interesting I read about was Paramount was kind of nervous about how much was sunk into it because historically, Star Trek has never pushed any business overseas. It's never been something that foreign audiences have taken to. Uh, but 31% of the gross for this came from overseas ticket sales. So they were pleasantly surprised by how this went. I never knew that. I, I just assumed it was like a global sensation. Well, it's one of those things that uh, it has to be because it's so much more action-oriented. I mean, that's what I've always heard, right? That the, the dialogue-heavy movies don't do well overseas whenever you have to translate because, you know, that's that's the problem. Mm. Like, you know, but you don't need translation for the big action scenes. So it makes sense that an, a big action-driven Star Trek would do better than the previous Star Treks where there's a lot of discussions about pain and all that stuff. Uh, I remember the other, the other big thing that people say about J.J. Abrams in this in this Star Trek and probably the next one too. Uh, and it was something that I was going to, I was planning to bring it up in Contreras Corner. They completely forgot because got cut up on the story. But I was like, this was J.J. Abrams step one in his 10 year plan to ruin Star Wars. 
because it was you know step one make make a star trek movie that's not a star trek movie but it's really a star wars movie and then that will get me the job to relaunch star wars and then i can kill star wars by making okay, <laughs> skywalker on. He, I, I do not blame him for Rise of Skywalker. I don't, but it was gonna be funny when I said it. In oh, Skywalker. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, in real, in real life. Okay, so this is. Uh, have you heard that, John? Where people say like, "Oh, this is the movie that made Star Trek, turned Star Trek into Star Wars." No, but I mean, I, I do see how, how somebody at at um, you know, uh, at, over at, at in Star Wars world saw this movie and said, "Oh, this guy's got an eye." <laughs> and you know he 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 can he can deliver on the action and yeah let let's let's bring him in yeah but no I, I don't I don't think this is a Star Wars movie this is a it's not a Star Trek movie necessarily <laughs> that's um that's an interesting take I think we live certainly in the this social media age where people are so anxious to sound smart that they just try to force like. They just love comparing things to other things, even if it doesn't really make sense. So while I could kind of see the train, the trail of thought to that, saying that like, oh, this turned Star Trek into Star Wars. You're just you're trying, you're trying to get the tweet perfect is what you're trying to do. And that, that's <laughs> yeah. like a take that I, I need a good headline for this, that type of thing. I think uh, uh, I can see how visually it w- it maybe moved it a little closer to Star Wars, but it's still like fundamentally, to me, it's always Star Trek is about science and Star Wars is about fantasy. And that, I don't think that they ever cross that line. I mean, even if it's action oriented, it's still science fiction. Before this, when was the last Star Trek theatrical release? Was that Nemesis? Nemesis. And that was like 2002. Okay. So like seven or eight years prior. That's the whimper. John was referring to <laughs> uh, a, a total whimper. Yeah. yeah. Nobody remembers that was Tom Holland as the bad or uh, Tom um, Hardy, Hardy is the bad guy in that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Skinny Tom Hardy. So yeah, at that point, I mean, people, we rebooted Spider-Man like within two years, like people, <laughs> like, yeah, something, sometimes you need to give something a new coat of paint and uh, that's enough time passed to do so. Um, yeah, it's it's we- it's kind of weird to me that there hasn't been one since beyond just given the state of everything right now. Well, they I think can- uh I know this is not the reason, but I always felt like Anthony Elchain dying was a big like when that happened, I was like, okay, we're not getting any more. I because I, I just couldn't imagine them moving forward. I guess they could. I mean, Hollywood is pretty callous. Dude, I was just- about to say you you <laughs> give them way more credit than I would. <laughs> Well, it was a combination of like, okay, we haven't had it in a while. I know Abrams was no longer involved. And then the, was it, is it Orsi and Kurtzman? I mean, I think that they were originally the next people that were going to take over the franchise. And then they left. And, uh, and then Anton Yelchin died. And I was like, all right, well, do you need any more signs? I mean, I think it's like, well, that's it. And and then in the meantime, too, what was missing during the time that these three, you know, Star Trek Into Darkness and Beyond came out was now there is a, a large TV presence of Star Trek again with Discovery, right. Strange New Worlds. There's a couple of um, Lower Decks, I think. There's a couple of cartoon mm-hmm. um, shows. So, like, you got four or five properties that are out there now. And, uh, you know, as, as far as I know, I watched the first two seasons of Discovery, and I know people hate it, I, or a lot of people seem to hate it. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, Me too. I think a lot of people 
are, are kind of digging what they're doing on the small screen, which is where Star Trek came from. So there's maybe not as much of a, a clamoring. And, and, and also, let's not forget, like, if you remember when Beyond came out, that came out in the summer of, like, 16, which was the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, and they they blew it. There was no fanfare. That movie came out like that movie came out like a fart in the middle of the night that you don't know you ever did, <laughs> that you never smelled. <laughs> it just it evaporated into the into the world, and that was it. And uh, so yeah, it just seems like they kind of gave up on this line. Sir, you didn't call my name, Kirk James T. Kirk, you're on academic suspension. That means you're grounded until the academy board rules. Getting back to this, the the story is simple. Uh, Easy to follow, even hilariously so, with like Spock giving literally like two movies worth of exposition in two minutes. Like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then I dropped this red matter, and blah, 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 blah. But uh, Leonard Nimoy is great in this, in the sense of like, I believe he's Spock still, and not just like a winking, nodding cameo. Uh, which I appreciate because it's all too often you come across shit like that where it's just kind of like, ah, here I am. He obviously has a lot of practice with being Spock, but I, <laughs> I buy him in this movie is like, okay, he's actually here to serve a purpose. Uh, that's one of my favorite moments in the movie is his when he meets Kirk, you know, Chris Pine. Yeah. And the way that he talks to him as if he's really, you know, the young version of his friend. And, of course, Pine is really funny reacting to the whole thing. But I was actually, again, I haven't seen this movie in so many years. So I was surprised at the fact that even though it's a it's a fun scene and, you know, you're having, it's a chainsaw moment and everything. But it was still kind of emotional. I really liked that, you know, Spock, because of the way he is, his personality, you know, he's very matter of fact and very direct when he's talking. And so he's just speaking of their friendship in such a direct way, just in a very plain uh, statements. And he's just saying, yeah, you know, we were best friends. <laughs> You're, this is, this needs to happen. And that was, uh, I, I, I thought it was really sweet. That's the kind of shit that I live for. Like when you're playing with timelines and time travel or stuff, like that's the kind of interactions I want to see. I know it would be just too much to have Spock, you know, do a tour of the entire cast and just meeting their younger versions. I, I honestly, I felt that they were even pushing it a little bit with him, like interacting with Scotty. Uh, but him interacting with Kirk was just perfect for me. It was just a, such a good snapshot of what I wanted from that plot and that relationship. So that's that was a big win. I I will say my one thing, uh, so I know we're coming to ratings, but just so I can explain why this isn't like a, a perfect movie for me. Why does it get five stars? Uh, <laughs> I I can get through a lot of the the plot convolution in this movie, but asking me to just sit there and watch the three characters be in the same planet uh, by coincidence is too much. Like I can buy Kirk <laughs> being exiled to the same planet that Spock was in because they kind of explain it, right? It had to be, I guess that planet, you know, is where you could get the best the best view of Vulcan falling apart. And so they were, the Enterprise, Enterprise was closed, so it makes sense that they would send Kirk there, and that's where Spock was there. But that Scotty, who's the engineer that has developed or will develop the technology that they need to get Kirk back into the Enterprise, that he also happens to be in that planet, that's just too much. Well, and, and also, <laughs> why, was, why was he important? Because... Because Spock knew that Spock taught him how to do it using his own <laughs> formula. Right. So Spock could have done it 
using that formula. It was just, you're right, it was just a way to get Scotty in the story, period. That would create a time paradox in and of itself, him showing young Scotty his own formula that he's going to invent years in the future. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the way that Spock has messed the timeline in this movie is just, he doesn't care. And I actually like that detail when he's like, basically, yeah, I learned it from you, from, you know, Kirk showed me that. Sometimes you don't have to play by the rules. You just go, fuck it. I'm just going to mess the timeline. Uh, But it's, I remember thinking that and I remember thinking, why, if Spock knows that there's a, a Starfleet outpost here, why was he hiding in that cave? Why didn't he just go to the <laughs> to the outpost to begin with? And it's like, oh, because he had to be there when Kirk shows up. But it's you know that doesn't he make got, any he sense. He got in a fight with the other cadets there and was like, fine. <laughs> they kicked him out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go live in a cave. Um, <laughs> like Carl Urban's awesome. Anton Yelkin's great. Simon Pegg's great. Uh, Zoe Saldana for you know she doesn't get too much to do, but she's great. I just before we like wrap up here, wanted to get y'all's thoughts on obviously Spock and Kirk are like the really iconic characters in this, so I wanted to get to y'all's take. Um, John, any takes on Zachary Quinto or Chris Pine? You like what they're doing here, or was it again? I keep using the word cutesy. Was it a bit too modernized in terms of approach? No, I, I liked it. I, I think I think Quinto does more of a. I'm not going to say Leonard Nimoy impression, but he plays the character of Spock more straightforward and Spock-like than anything we've ever seen Kirk acting like that. Like, again, like we said in in the Contrarian's Corner, you know, bar fighting, uh, you know, semi kind of like overly aggressive sexually. Like, we, we know that Kirk is a ladies man, but we see him like kind of in his, I'd say youth, but you're right, he's 30. In, in his, <laughs> in his, in his, I guess, arrested development phase, um, and I, I do like the fact that like he, he really shouldn't. He's not the hero of this movie. Like he's brash. Um, you know, he, he causes Spock all this emotional damage, and then smirks about it as he like climbs into his chair. Um, I, I like that. I like that we see that. Um, and 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 in this movie alone, I like that. I like it more because as the movies go along. And they've been together longer. We do see him mature uh, to a point. Uh, and I like the fact that in Into Darkness, in the first half, he's still kind of an asshole, even though he's mm-hmm. a captain. He he's still brash. He's still doing kind of like dangerous and dumb things. But no, I, I like them both. Like I said, I think I think Pine hits it more from a different angle, and I think Quinto does an admirable kind of uh, imitation job. But he's good. Yeah, I think uh, at least in my experience, because I'm not as as I haven't seen much of the original TV show. I've seen the you know the movies, but I felt that uh, they gave Quinto more material as far as Spock goes. Of like, okay, we're gonna show Spock uh, in a light that we haven't before. Where it's like you're right with Kirk. It's just things that we could have extrapolated, right? Like, if you see. Uh, uh, the James Kirk that William Shatner was playing, and you imagine him when he was younger, you're like, all right, I can buy that he was getting into brawls in Iowa and whatever. Right. And, uh, but when you look at Leonard Nimoy's Spock, it's a lot harder, at least it was for me, to figure, like, what's what's young Spock like? What, what is he like? And uh, what Quinto, Quinto does is like, yeah, he has the mannerisms, but they also put him in a position where, you know, he has a girlfriend, which is like... Never would have thought of you know when I think of Spock, I don't think of romantic relationships to begin with, uh, and and just the fact that he he has those insecurities because he's a young guy and 
you know, he's put in a position of authority and all this stuff. So I I watch this movie. I find them really entertaining. I like them both and everything. But it's like I said in Concerns Corner. I'm always Team Spock watching this. And I know that part of this is uh, Quintus performance because he's he manages to get me on his side, you know? And, and of course, the, the way the script is written, I think that also I, I sympathize more with his side of it. Do you have a, a favorite, uh, Alex? Are you Team Spock or Tim Kirk watching this? I'm not Team. We did enough of that shit with Twilight, man. I'm not taking teams anymore. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's no secret. I, I enjoy Chris Pine as an actor. Zachary Quinto, I wish I had seen him in, or I wish I have seen him in more. I really enjoy what he does here and through the rest of the, the movies as well. But yeah, Chris Pine's great. And he's, uh, I was so giddy when he got cast in the, wet hot american summer series because like i've always thought he's just really funny like he he has like a he can do physical comedy and not to the point of shtick like we talked about the scene where he's watching uhura and spock like kiss when he notices it and just his reactions to it are so funny and i think some of what he does in this and even if it is just like really cocky prick stuff he's entertaining um so yeah i i enjoy it i mean you're never gonna be Leonard Nimoy or uh, Shatner. You're certainly not going to be, there's never going to be another William Shatner. So trying to give it your own spin is definitely the, the way to go. I sure hope you know what you're doing, Captain. So do I. Uh, it's not perfect. It's still like Hollywood bullshit in a lot of ways. And it is, uh, I kept using the phrase genuine blockbuster. And I stress that to mean it's not you're not going to be thinking about this two days from now. You're not going to be like, oh, that's what that means. It's just a very fun uh, waste of time sounds negative because I, I don't want it to. It's just, hey, here's something to look at and have a good time with. Uh, so I guess that's as good of any as a way to move into reviews. I think um, I think I'm content with like a B plus. Uh, it's a lot of fun for what it is. And uh, it did it it was surprising to me to think about like what this kind of set into motion with certain careers. And also the fact that it was a movie that largely had a cast of not nobodies, but certainly not a listers that we typically strive for these days when putting together something like this. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, we'll do a contrarian sandwich here, John letter grade five star rating scale. If you want to give it sandwiches, whatever you want to give, what, what, <laughs> what right. are your final thoughts here on Star Trek 2009? Yeah, I enjoy this movie. Uh, I told Julio off air that uh, I, you know, I do my letterbox, and um, uh, I just watched this again last year. It, it's it's just it, again take it take it aside from from what the original series is and everything, and what the original movies are, and what they decided to do works uh it, it's it's the big shiny action version of star trek you're right you're not you're not gonna go oh my god that was the hidden that was the hidden meaning behind uh <laughs> behind all that you're not you're but you, while you're watching it you're gonna go that was cool like the the opening the opening scene with with george uh, kirk and and all that it's, it's fantastic it's it's a you know big, a lot of big blockbuster movies i judge heavily on like what was the opening scene like what was the closing scene like because mm -hmm. you know you, that's what you're you're looking for like the really good bread to put the rest of the meat in between sandwich wise as you said and i think that this one starts fantastically it, it draws you in it answers a lot of the questions right off the bat 
in terms of this is where Kirk came from. Oh, look, we're seeing his father really for the first time ever. Um, so uh, we do on our show, we do letter or um, star ratings, numbers, uh, and we do five. I go four. I'm going to go four for this. I really enjoy this movie. Like you said, Alex, it's brisk. Um, every every bit of this movie, the opening, good 10 minutes, and then you move on. And then you meet Kirk as a kid, five minutes, and you move on. You meet Spock as a kid, five minutes, you move on. You meet uh, Kirk as uh, a young man and then you move on you get to the to the to the academy you move on um they don't waste time they get right to it and and it's enjoyable so i'm gonna go four stars yeah i i agree i with everything you guys have said it's it's i liked it i was i I don't want to say i was surprised by how much i enjoyed it because i knew that i enjoyed it i mean i've seen this movie more than once and as i said for a while it was kind of like a fixture at my apartment I guess if if I was surprised by anything it was by how well it held up because it's been a few years since I watched it and it still feels shiny and new <laughs> and, and just full of energy and I really appreciated that. Uh, I think that whatever flaws I perceive, whatever things that make me maybe scratch my head, like I don't have time to really dwell on them because the story keeps moving forward and there's something funny or something exciting happening right around the corner. And so this is probably... If I had time while watching the movie to stop and think about it, like the the rating would go down. But the movie is designed to like keep me going, and I the the pleasure I think builds up as you keep going because it's it just pays itself off. You know, it's like you introduce Kirk and Spock as these guys are butting heads, and then by the end of the movie they're kind of buddies, and that's there's something really rewarding in, in seeing that evolution. You know, far more so than whatever happens to Nero or you know whether. Tyler Perry gives Kirk a medal or whatever. You know, it's just like the, those relationships really uh, work for me. So I'm going to go with four and a half stars. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us and picking this out. This was a a fun episode. Uh, where can listeners find you and your show? All right. So The Pint, a pop culture podcast, uh, any pod catcher. Like, let's just be honest. Just Just go to Apple or Google or iHeartRadio or Spotify, and, and you could find us there. Um, if you want to catch us on the social media uh, platforms, we're on Twitter and Instagram at The Pint Podcast. Facebook is just The Pint, a pop culture podcast. And if you get into listening to the show, or if you already listen to the show and you don't know, we have a Patreon, Patreon slash The Pint. Uh, try to get out new episodes a couple times a month uh, and do other cool things on there as well. So, yeah, just check us out. Uh, and thank you guys for having me on. Uh, I love your show, and um, it's it's been a lot of fun uh, doing this. And uh, like I said, I picked this movie kind of randomly, but also kind of because I like it, and I want to talk about something I liked. <laughs> you put as much thought into this pick as uh, Orsi and Kurtzman put into the script of Star Trek 2009, and it turned out fine. Yeah, so yeah everything's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm really happy that uh, we made this happen. It won't be the last time you'll be here, John. Uh, yeah. Uh, Maybe next time we'll do a rotten movie. We'll find something oh, you don't like. I'm down for that. <laughs> I know you have like piles and piles of terrible movies that you like to inflict on people. So yeah, absolutely. We'll, absolutely. we'll prepare for that. But uh, that's that's it for uh, Star Trek. Alex, you should ask me what we're doing next. <laughs> Julio, what are we doing next? Speaking of collaborations and how many of them we've had in this uh, second half of the year, we have another uh, 
collaboration, we have two returning guests to the show. Ryan and Bartek are coming back to do a movie that uh, Bartek wrote a haiku about, and that is Dan Aykroyd's Nothing But Trouble. Oh, Alex. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, uh, are you familiar with Nothing But Trouble? Because it sounds like John is. Uh, no, that's just looking into it and seeing the cast involved was uh, quite the the experience. So I'm not really sure what I'm getting into here. Well, it's a, it's a rotten movie, so it'll be the opposite of uh, Star Trek, according to Rotten Tomatoes. We'll see. Uh, but that's that's in our future. Uh, John, what are you? What is the pine doing? Uh, this is dropping in December. So, do you have any idea? Yeah, so I'll I'll go with at least one. Uh, the first or second week of December, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Heat, Michael Mann's 1995 instructional on how to have a, uh, a firefight in the streets of L.A. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a uh, a movie that um we've been talking about doing forever. And uh, one of our buddies, uh, who uh, I'm in Connecticut, who lives in Vermont, uh, wants to do it with us, but he only comes down a couple times a year. So he's coming down for Thanksgiving, and we're doing it the weekend of Thanksgiving. And he's like, I'll be down. He's like, I'm coming over. So we're, we're doing it. If he doesn't make it, fuck it. I'm just going to do it anyway. Because <laughs> literally, it's been like two years we've talked about this. And uh, at this point, the episode can't be like, <laughs> it, it's going to just come out. It's got it's got to come out of me. I've got to I've got to talk about heat. I like heat, so I look forward to that episode. Uh, but that's going to be it. Alex, get us out of here. All right. So to take us out of here, we're going to start off by giving thanks to the Festive Years, who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans Rothieser, he's the man behind our logo and all the graphics on our webpage, our patron page, our merch page. That little tomato looking at itself in the mirror, that's Hans's handiwork. Uh, if you like it and you want to tell him how much you like it, uh, just shoot him an email at mildemonios at hotmail.com. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot com. Or you can reach him on Twitter at mildemonios. Or you can check out his website, mildemonios.pe, where he has all his other work listed. He's a, he's a writer. He has a bunch of zombie novels uh, available there and he's also a podcaster like i said he has a podcast about peruvian current affairs called nacion combi and a podcast about economy called marginal hans thank you for all your support and we continue to thank the support of our friends over at the late night grin late night grin.com at late night grin on twitter uh, you can also find them on youtube late night grin uh wrestling podcast uh, occasionally cover film as well they have their watch-alongs they refer to as Grin-Alongs. And, uh, there's a monthly show on there called The Grin Grappler that they are so gracious to include me on uh, monthly as I guess I'm a regular part of the panel now. Legitimate friends I've made through the internet over there. And so, boys, continue to keep up the good work. Uh, they continue to support us, so we want to continue to support them as well. And uh, speaking of support, no better example than that of Ms. Zoe Perez, our social media guru, our social media czar continues to give us great effort and churn out great work not just for us but for you uh, our fans dare I say and adoring public uh, you can find us facebook.com slash contrarian prime uh, instagram at contrarian prime youtube.com at contrarian prime we're taking over man and you know you patrons kind of already know this and have an insight to it but uh, we continue to expand where we can and a huge part of that is Zoe so Zoe as always 
We really appreciate the work that you do for us. And we appreciate y'all, our listening public, and the people who continue to tune in for listening. We do the show for you, so we appreciate you listening. But that is going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for asking. I just can't quite get by.